invite you to pray with me now. Father God, as we've heard amazing words, sobering and wonderful, pray, Lord, that you might empower me to preach your word faithfully in a way that's helpful for us all to see the meaning and how we should respond. Lord, I ask for a work of your spirit in all of our hearts and through my words. So please help us all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us love weddings. That's why there's so many books and movies, so many social media pictures about them. And being invited to a wedding, a wedding reception particularly, is an honour and privilege, isn't it? Once my wife Kirsty and I were invited to a couple's wedding reception and it was a 10-course Chinese banquet. That's not the real photo. But I've never had anything like it. One course after another of lavish seafood, a beautifully cooked beef, amazing flavours. I'm glad the portions were small because Kirsty doesn't really like seafood, so I had to eat half of her dishes. The joy, the thanksgiving, the celebration of that night reminded me of this passage and of the wedding feast of the Lamb that heaven will be. And I hope that this passage, Matthew 22, will make you want to go, look forward to heaven, make you want to avoid the consequences of missing out. God's banquet is not something you want to miss. If you were here last Sunday, do you remember in Matthew 21, verse 23, the Jewish chief priests are questioning Jesus about his authority to teach? Jesus shares three parables. We looked at the first two last week. About, and they're all about how people respond to his call, to God's call to repent and believe. And in the parable of the two sons, verse 28, Jesus said, Prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of the Jewish leaders who wouldn't repent. In the parable of the vineyard owner or the tenants, verse 35, the farmers are killing God's servants and his son. And God's kingdom, we heard, will be given to people who will accept Jesus as king and produce fruit. And so Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet in a context of rejection by the Jewish leaders. And my first of three points is the invitation is rejected. If you look at 22 verse 1, the parable makes a point about the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God, particularly about how to enter it. So how to enter a relationship with God and the celebration in heaven. And this king prepares a wedding banquet for his son. Royal weddings don't happen every day, do they? This is a very special and grand event. And what a privilege it would have been to have received an invitation to the wedding of the king's son, the prince. I mean, can you imagine if in 20 years and Prince George gets married and you get invited? Here, invitations have already been sent out. And in that time and that culture, people would wait to receive word that all was now ready. Come, come now. And that first call is issued in verse 3. The king sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet. They're called to come. The moment has arrived. And again, surely you would be glad and honoured to 
receive such an invitation. I mean, a king's son is not married every day and not everybody gets invited to a monarch's banquet. We may even say that we may even say that to you should not refuse such a royal invitation. I mean, and yet, unbelievably, though, those who are invited didn't want to come. It is amazing. And it is an expression of disloyalty and a rejection of the king and his son. But in verses 4 to 7, the king tries again in patience and kindness. For surely there's got to be some mistake. Surely they don't understand. And so this, this time the king emphasizes with more words that everything is now ready. My dinner's prepared. The special meats are ready and going cold, we may say. The, the time has now come. Despite the urgent invitation, there's again a negative response. Verse 5, they pay no attention and they go off to other things. So apparently their work and their business and their money-making matters more. They don't even bother to give excuses like those do in a similar story in Luke chapter 14. I suggest that we cannot understand the insult that this was. I don't think we can really understand the shame that these people invited should be feeling. They don't care about the king. For them, other things are just more important. And it symbolizes how people respond to Jesus and his invitation to come to God's kingdom. And so many people just ignore the truth about Jesus, don't they? I imagine many of your friends and family like mine have heard the gospel maybe from you or at a funeral, at a wedding, at Christmas, and they just ignore it. So many people are focused on and living for other things. And maybe this is true of religious people as well. Reminded me of the parable of the the sower in Matthew 13. Reminded me of, remember how some people are like the seed sown among the thorns. Jesus explains that at first they respond to the gospel in some way, but the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for wealth, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so even some people who at first seem to accept the invitation end up ignoring it. And to ignore it is to reject it. And if you reject the offer, the invitation, you will miss out on the party. And if you say you'll accept it, but then you live for other things, you'll also miss out. So I ask, are you ignoring the invitation? Some reject the invitation with anger and hatred, though. Verse 6, the rest seize the king's servants. They mistreat them and kill them. And this second invitation is deliberately rejected with anger and violence. It represents God's prophets and servants throughout Scripture, Elijah, Jeremiah. But also it represents the treatment of the early Christians and Christian missionaries by the Jews. Think of Stephen's stoning. 
and Paul's persecution by the Jews in, in so many sense. And yet still today in Victoria, some call Christians hateful, intolerant bigots. Some call the message of the gospel that only Jesus saves evil. The secular gospel in our culture, gospel of a fake gospel of sexual freedom and me living for myself, it's promoted and loved. And God and his rule and Christ and his kingship is rejected. But coming back to verse 7, it's clearly not acceptable to abuse those who are bringing a kind invitation and to murder the messengers. They're not worthy. And so understandably, what does the king do? He, his army kills those murderers and burns their city. Points to what will happen to the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. Burnt and destroyed. And yet still, Christian brothers today, brothers and sisters around the world in countries like Iran and Nigeria and many more, they are killed for being messengers of the king. Suffer and killed for calling others to come to Christ. And on judgment day, the persecutors will be held to account for their choices and actions. God's messengers were sent first to the Jews and their leaders. They'd been invited to have a relationship with God, invited to heaven, but the great majority rejected the invitation, refused to come. Most Jews rejected Christ and the gospel preaching of his apostles. And so, the parable says, another invitation went out. Point two, others are invited. In verse 9, the king requests the servants go to the street corners, the Swanson streets, the busy roads to invite anyone they can find. They call everyone evil and the good, the good and the bad, and the, those who don't deserve to come are invited to come. Sinners who know they've not lived a good life are invited. And what happens? Many unworthy people come. The banquet hall is filled with commoners, Gentiles, unworthy people, sinners. They don't ignore the invitation. Again, please see that this passage here is inviting you. God invites you. You have been invited. Whatever good you think you've done in life, whatever bad things you've done, whatever sins you've committed, you are invited to come and you are welcome. So don't let your past sins and failures make you think that you're so unworthy that God would never accept you. Parable says you will, and you're welcome. Why will we be welcome? Because even though you and I are not good enough, God's Son the king was and is. Jesus lived a sinless life in your place. He died the death that you deserved to give you a life that you never deserved. And trusting in him, trusting in Jesus means you'll be welcomed and accepted. But welcome to what? 
Well, back in verse 2, it tells us the king who represents God puts on a wedding banquet. Verse 4 tells us of this dinner that's ready. Everything's ready and even the lovely meats. And maybe if you're a vegetarian, that doesn't excite you. Please picture a pumpkin risotto or an eggplant lasagna or something. The point is everything is ready. And verse 10, God wants this banquet filled with guests. The place will be filled with people from, the Bible says, filled with people from every nation and language, tribe and tongue. People who have been saved by Christ. It will even be filled with our loved ones who believed in the Lord and have already gone to be with him. Be filled with brothers and sisters from the past and in this world that you do not know and are yet to meet. And filled with people like your brothers and sisters here who you do know. It'll be the best party ever. What we read in Isaiah 25 and verse 6 promises future banquet of prime cuts of choice meat and fine vintage wine. But also, it'll be a time when death has been swallowed up and all tears are wiped away. And then Jesus at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, he promised his disciples, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then Revelation chapter 19 promises what's going to happen after Judgment Day. The marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has prepared herself. Verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. These words of God are true. So in an amazingly, in a blow-your-mind way, we're not just invited as guests to the banquets, but the church, we, God's people, are the bride of Christ. How we'll be both on that day, I don't know. But remember, the groom is the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. Jesus' people are his bride and will be celebrating in his presence. And so one of the descriptions of heaven at the end of the book of Revelation is that it will be a marriage feast. The Bible finishes with the best ever marriage reception, wedding reception. The party will start, the banquet will begin when Jesus returns when the groom comes again. And whatever heaven will be like, it will not be boring, not Groundhog Day. It will be like the best ever wedding reception, but with unending joy in our Saviour Jesus' presence and in God's presence. I might have loved that 10-course Chinese banquet or a Christmas Day feast, but it'll be nothing compared to this. Heaven will be better if you want to experience that bounty and joy, that peace and blessing, that life and fulfillment, immeasurable, incomparable fulfillment, eternal, uncontainable fulfillment, then turn to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him and follow him as Lord and never stop. That's how you accept the invitation to the banquets. That's how you accept God's invitation to his son's banquets. Everyone's invited. Whether you've been bad or good, you're invited. 
And Santa might want to know if you've been naughty or nice and not give gifts to the naughty ones. There's a father in heaven who offers you the best gift ever. No matter what you've done in the past, God the Father is ready to welcome you. Jesus the Son is ready to say, I died for your sins. The Holy Spirit is ready to transform you. And if you know and believe this already, if you know that God has welcomed you through Christ and you have an assurance that heaven waits for you, heaven is to come, then maybe God wants you to invite others. In verse 9, God sent his servants out to invite everyone to the banquet. New Testament repeatedly describes Christians as God's servants. So we're servants of God too. So maybe God wants to send you. Maybe he wants you to invite others to join the wedding banquets, the party in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that it's Christ's love that compels us. So loved, I want to. God wants people to be reconciled to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The apostles are no longer here. But God can make his appeal to others through you. God wants to invite people to his banquets through us. And you know your friends, your relative, your work colleague. I don't. So maybe tomorrow you could, maybe tomorrow you could talk with a friend about how you read in the Bible on Sunday that heaven will be the best party ever. And you could ask them, are you interested in hearing about how to get there? The story could have finished in verse 10. But Jesus goes on and speaks of one not welcome at the party, point three. Verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who was not, wear, not dressed for a wedding. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Not much is known about first century wedding practices, even of royal weddings, but it seems that when a king invited people, especially inviting those off the streets to a free feast, it seems that he provided them with beautiful wedding robes to wear. The king likely provided everyone with wedding clothes to wear. And that way everyone's dressed for the occasion. The poor are not ashamed of their rags. The rich are not proud about what they're wearing. You see, at God's feast, there will be no embarrassment or pride. But it seems that one guest had not used the clothing that was available to him. He no doubt thought his own clothes were good enough and decided not to wear what was offered. The point is, though, he does not clothe himself properly. And when questioned, he can't defend himself. 
Notice that he has nothing to say, no comeback. And we may feel that this man who's improperly dressed, that he's punished unjustly for this. But the point is the man had scorned the host's provision. He's insulted the hosts. This man had listened to the call. He was invited. He came thinking he was dressed well enough. Can I say he acted like a party crasher and thought he'd be welcome? He could come on his own terms. But we're not saved by dressing ourselves well enough or we're not saved by coming to God good enough. We're saved fully by faith in Jesus alone. And you cannot proudly compare yourself to others and think, oh, at least I had the sense to believe in Jesus. You see, faith doesn't look into yourself. It looks up to Jesus and it leans on Jesus. So an application of this is, for us is, God will throw out anyone who relies on their own imagined goodness to gain entry into God's kingdom. You and I cannot and will not get to heaven thinking, I'm good enough, I deserve to be here. We cannot and will not get to heaven if we're thinking, yeah, Jesus died for me, but I was a good person too, and I did this and that. Yes, Revelation 19, verse 8, spoke of the bride being given bright and pure robes, which we're told represent the righteous acts of the saints. But remember, Revelation 7 said the robes of the multitude of believers around the throne are white because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Saved through Christ's sacrifice, that is. And so drawing these things together, we're saved by faith alone. And Christ's righteousness gets counted to us by faith. We get clothed in his righteousness, his perfectness. But that faith that saves is never alone. As James chapter 2 says, we show our faith by our deeds. And so the party crasher might have prayed some prayer years ago to become a Christian. But it seems he lived his life then thinking he was good enough. His confidence is in his own performance. And so he will be thrown out into the darkness, verse 13, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That describes hell. It is separation from God and light and all happiness. It's no party with your unbelieving friends and with the devil. Alone and crying in the darkness. Crying in pain instead. How sobering, how serious, how scary. Jesus is warning us here and giving us a chance to turn to God now. You and I must accept the free invitation to a free feast. Accept the entry ticket to heaven, if you, if I may. Accept the entry ticket to heaven purchased for us by Christ through his death and resurrection. Saved by grace, we bring nothing to the party. Cadbury might want you to bring a box of favourites to the party when you're asked to bring nothing. To God's party, we really can bring nothing. As we sing, nothing in my hands I bring, 
Simply to your cross I cling. Even if we've been to church, maybe you've grown up in this church, I think we can all fall into the trap of wrong thinking sometimes. Like, I have to be good enough for God to accept me. Oh, I've not, I've not read the Bible in ages. I've not served enough. I've not shared Christ with enough people. I have to be good enough for God to accept me. Or, or I am good enough for God to accept me. Or others, are think, others think, I know I'm not good enough. God will never accept me. I wonder what you're, you're tempted to think. You see, when you start to think in such ways, please tell yourself it's not about me. Jesus, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. If God asked me, Clinton, why should I let you into my heavenly banquets? I could only say, I have no right to be here. But I believe and trust in Jesus who died for me, opened the way for me, and he saved me. What would you say? Verse 14 says that the wrongly dressed man also missed out for many are invited but few are chosen. We don't have time today for, for an in-depth uh, coverage of predestination and election, but you're welcome to talk with me after. But it's not that many are invited to the king's banquet and few chose to come. That's not the point here. This verse speaks about God's election of people, God choosing some. Many people are called outwardly, but few show themselves to be chosen by responding rightly. In other words, the gospel's proclaimed, many are invited and hear the call to respond in faith, but few do because few are chosen. The Pharisees heard the invitation and verse 15 tells us they again refused to respond to the call with repentance and faith. And when people ignore or reject Jesus or put their trust in their own self-righteousness and performance, they are responsible for that. If you have come and you know Jesus and you have an assurance of heaven, then please pray and intercede for those who will not come. Pray that the Lord will enlighten their understanding. Pray this for the non-Christian people that you know and care about. Pray this for our state and our nation, that God will enlighten people's minds and understanding and change their hearts and that God may move people to believe in Jesus and come to him. If this election stuff is something you're not sure about, please don't get hung up on election. The point is come, come. So answer the call, don't delay, come prepared by accepting what's available and offered. Receiving forgiveness, salvation and righteousness in Christ that's freely given 
The invitation has gone out far and wide. If you reject it, you miss the party. So please come. Please come. Doesn't matter how sinful you've been, how bad you are. Christ came to call sinners, us, you, into God's kingdom, into relationship with him as your king. And so God is here today in this passage inviting you to come. Inviting you to his heavenly banquets. Ten years ago, a young Lebanese man walked into a church in Melbourne's west. And he said to a leader there, I'm a Muslim and I want to become a Christian. The man had been attending some free English classes the church had been running. Came in and said, I'm a Muslim, I want to become a Christian. Not sure how to respond, this church leader knew Bernie Power or knew of him and she He's a lecturer at the Bible College called MST and he does Muslim outreach in Melbourne. So Bernie invited this young man to witness the baptism of a woman from Pakistan and a few days later the young man came to Bernie's home. Bernie outlined how he could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the young man chose to become a follower of Jesus. And he asked, are my sins really forgiven? Yes. And he left that house full of joy, smiling from ear to ear. And he and we can look forward with joy to being welcomed by God to his celebration and banquets in heaven. I hope you'll be there. Let's pray. Father God, we we know that we're sinners and unworthy of such an amazing and grand and gracious invitation and we couldn't get there on our own merits. But we thank you that our Lord Jesus, he died to open the way and the door to heaven for us. Pray that you'd grow our understanding of his love for us, that it would compel us to want to look forward to and choose to spend eternity with he, our Saviour and Lord, forever in heaven. Lord, I pray that the love of Christ and this gracious offer of our Creator, that we would respond to it with accepting it, by following Jesus as Lord and trusting in him. Please open the hearts of those hearing this now that they might respond and receive and accept that invitation and come. Lord, we pray that for all of us who know where we're going, that you might stir our hearts to so love others that we want to invite them to join us there too. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.